hello, hello. Welcome back to On Connection. Today's episode is all about choice and how this deeply human act relates to organizational performance, culture, engagement, and individual well-being. Most simply, choice means an act of selecting or making a decision when faced with two or more possibilities. In a social, cultural, psychological context, however, there's a lot more to it than that. Another definition is the right, power, or chance to choose. The opportunity and capacity to make a decision for oneself is an act of agency and autonomy, an act of independence and self-fulfillment. We believe this opportunity to choose to commit to something is powerful and an important ingredient in organizational vitality. In our book, The Vitality Imperative, the definition of vitality that we use includes the capacity to live, grow, or develop, the presence of intellectual and physical vigor, energy. In our work and research, we found that organizations that experience vitality commonly observe these three aspects of their culture. One, community a sense of belonging rooted in common values and common purpose. Two, contribution, the ability to make a meaningful difference. And three, choice, the victory of commitment over compliance. The magic is in how these three things interact with one another and how they are so inextricably linked when you look at the experience of the human beings that are working in these organizations. Anne-Marie Allen has informed a great deal of our thinking on this topic, given her extensive experience both in business and as a social scientist and student of the systems thinking discipline. She was formerly a global partner and senior consultant at Conversant and has since moved into retirement, though she continues to contribute to our work by sitting on our advisory board. She wrote the foreword to the Vitality Imperative, and her thoughts set up today's conversation nicely, so I'm going to read a bit of that to you. It's taken a while for people to be ready to hear about vitality. Partly, this is because of deeply-seated, erroneous, centuries-old cultural beliefs. These beliefs assert that as humans, we must make trade-offs between opposing forces, rational individual self-interest versus seeking the common and collective good. The premise underlying this belief is that the natural order is the individual, and that only out of necessity for survival do we give up some of our personal desires in order to be protected. This is simply not true. In fact, great thinkers such as Adam Smith, Emile Durkheim, George Herbert Mead, and Umberto Maturana have challenged this underlying assumption with logic and evidence that suggest the opposite. They reveal we are human only because we are socialized. And our nature and the very emergence of our intelligence and well-being are dependent upon our interactions, positive emotions, and solidarity with each other. In short, there is a fundamental human need to live and work together and to care about one another. The choice between results and community contribution and choice is not an either-or, rather it is a yes-and. The autonomy to pursue a meaningful life only has traction in relationship to each other and a shared purpose. So, it may seem there's a natural tension between the individual and the collective, but as Mickey said in a, few, in a blog that he wrote a few years ago, autonomy ain't anarchy. We aren't saying that individual preference rules, but that the power to choose to commit rather than comply to demands from some superior authority shares a home with both individual and collective vitality. 
It is also in the best interest of any leader that's hoping to build a future for their organization, one that sustains both business success and the fulfillment of their purposes, as well as the well-being of those contributing to that success. So for today's conversation about choice, I'm joined by Robin Ann Selmy, CEO of Conversant, and Kel Delaney, Conversant consultant and a devoted student of these principles. Welcome back to On Connection. Today, I am joined by Miss Robin, and we have our friend Kel Delaney back with us on the podcast. Hello, Kel. Hello, everyone. Have you been on with Robin yet? Yeah, earlier so. last year. It's, it's been a few. It's probably been a few months. It yeah. Has. Okay. Well, cool. I think, Exciting. I think, we've been, I think we've been here before. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, we talk to each other so often that I can't remember sometimes if it's a podcast or. <laughs> Or something just, else, right? Or just something life. else. Or just or our just lives. life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, thank you for choosing to be here today. I Well, we'll have to talk about that once we get into the topic. I don't know if you guys felt like you had a choice <laughs> in being here. I saw um, a calendar invite arrive and I just said, accept. I know. <laughs> so when stuff comes in from Emma it's just like, okay, yes. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, so today we are talking about choice. And choice is something we talk about in our work quite a bit, especially if you've read The Vitality Imperative. We talk about um, the three elements or characteristics that are true of organizations that are vital organizationally and as a business and also are housing vital employees and people. And those are community contribution, and choice. And community, we did do an episode on way back in the beginning of the pod, which I think it was episode two or something like that. Um, So if you want to go back and listen to that, you can and hear what we think of when we say the word community and why it matters to leadership and organizational success. But today we're going to talk about choice, which it's uh, it might sound like they're at odds with one another, talking about community and choice, and some have that perception, but we think they go pretty hand in hand. So to start for either of you, whoever wants to start, what does choice mean to you? And why does it matter when we're talking about leadership? Well, I'll start and Cal, feel free to chime in. For me, I think the place I start when we when we put choice in the context of vitality um, is a something that we say in the vitality imperative about choice being the victory of commitment over compliance, right? That we really are looking for people who are making authentic commitments to an action, an organization, a team for themselves, that they find their own personal thing in it, that they go, yes, that, that has my name on it. I'm going to be committed to that. And that it's not just, uh, as Mickey likes to say, anarchy, right? So it's not just everyone running around doing whatever the heck they want to do, but it's really people making a personal commitment through connection to the team's objectives and goals and having that override the notion of compliance, which I think is a pretty low bar when you're trying to get work done in an organization to have people just complying with requests. 
So for me, choice is really about that level of personal autonomous commitment to something inside an organization. Cal, what would you say? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot I think of when I think of choice and, you know, I right there with Robin in that uh, description of it, but so I'll take it in an, another direction too, which, you know, the way when we talk about community contribution choice, when I teach that, I always start with contribution because you, you can't make much choice if you're not clear about what you have to choose from or what you're working with. Right. And so reflecting a little bit for yourself on what is my contribution and what are my colleagues contributions and what is it we're here wanting to give. And then that collectively becomes community. And that is how we define all of those pieces together. And then that community is often making choices and contributing towards a shared goal, shared purpose, shared organizational values. And so off of that comes choice. If you're clear about those things, you're able to know how to make choices to better serve your community, to give your contribution, and to help the whole collective reach those strategies, those outcomes, those goals, whatever you're trying to to create. And I think, you know, for me, when I hear organizations or people in organizations talking a lot about, I just need priorities. Could you give me the priorities? Could you make clear decision-making or well-being is a real struggle here. To me, it's a, it's a 80% of the time, it's a lack of clarity in individual contribution, collective contribution, who we are as a community, and therefore the ability to make smart choices with the limited finite time and energy you have in your work. And in your mm -hmm. life, frankly. Right? And in your life, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And Rose, how about for you, what comes up when we say, when we talk about choice inside of vitality? Well, um, I agree with everything you guys have said so <laughs> far. Um, and I think... Uh, well, actually, so I was just writing a, I just wrote a blog that will come out soon. I don't know, sometime around the t same time as this coming out, maybe. Um, but about self-actualization. Uh, and there that came up when I was reading a number of things over the last couple of years. And I think it applies to the generational theme that we like to bring into this podcast. that. There's the story that younger generations are more and more individualistic and selfish, perhaps, um, and that we're quite demanding of having things our way within our work life and in the rest of our lives. Um, now, I think that's a pretty mm, shallow explanation of what motivates or and attracts young people. But I do think uh, there's actually something very human about that. So if we just take the generational distinction out and look at even, you know, people in more senior uh, generations want to feel like they have some autonomy, to go back to that word, in their lives. And, you know, you look at the aging population and one of the primary challenges with the aging, um, is that they don't feel like they have control or independence or choice in their life. And that's some of the things that really affect their vitality and their personal health, emotionally and physically, physiologically. Um, so I actually think it's deeply human to have a sense of self in the context of 
your place in the world. And so who am I in relationship to these others? Who am I in relationship to the work I'm choosing that I'm doing, the energy that I'm giving of myself? Um, And I think without that sense of choice, it's far more draining rather than energizing. So there's something about plugging into what you're contributing to and why and having an understanding of what's the impact of that and why does that matter to me. Um, It's very sustaining over time, even through challenges uh, and confronting situations, including, you know, when we don't want to contribute or show up to work that day. If we have that sense of, well, I did choose this and I do care about this and this is why that can really carry through. So that's what's coming up for me today. You could ask me next week and see what I say, but that's what I think today. <laughs> you know what that brings up for me, Emma Rose, is the role of leadership in that and why things like vision and values become really important in an organization so that I can actually make as an employee a personal connection to what is this organization about? What about that is important to me? And for some it might be the paycheck. And there's actually no harm or foul in that, right? For some, that that is what motivates you is the dollars to take care of your family and your personal things in your personal life, fabulous. And the values in terms of how we're gonna work together so that I can actually day-to-day make a personal choice around is that something about is that how I want to spend my limited time and resources that I have available? And that as leaders, we can try to lead through domination, which is just you're going to do this thing, right? Which is uh, more through compliance. You will get a certain amount of response out of that, but I don't know that you can trust it for the long term. And Uh, around will people actually fulfill on that regardless of circumstance? Will they fulfill on those um, uh, at a compliance level when they hit a challenge or a roadblock or it doesn't go exactly as planned, which is how life goes, as opposed to saying like, no, even on the days that it's hard, I am clear why I'm doing the thing I'm doing and I am making a personal choice to get out of the bed today and go do this thing, even if it's not what I want to do uh, at this given moment, because I understand the why behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, you know, that brings up for me, you know, this this idea that, you know, that's that's when you often get the people who, you know, you ask them, well, why did you just let that whole thing fail? And they're like, because that was my my job was just to do this. And I did that. And they it's like, but couldn't you have done but because they didn't feel like they had the choice to control, they didn't. And it might seem irrational in the moment, but you took away their control. And so they don't have that motivation, that connection to values, the connection to purpose, to 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 go an extra step or an extra mile to to support. And you know, to me, that flip side is choice opens the door to human creativity, to collaboration, to innovation. When people are deeply connected to community contribution, they now can then can riff off of things. They come up with the new novel ideas. Um, and that's where, to me, I think humans thrive. That's where we really come alive. You know, to your, we were talking as we were just like getting ready for this. And Emma Rose, you brought up how, you know, often vacation days can be like 
almost depressing sometimes because you have no constraint, no structure. Um, and so we need, you know, that, that pretty popular quote that creativity thrives with constraint. You need some constraint to thrive. You need to have that clarity of choice to thrive. And that's where we bring our best to our work, to our organizations. Um, and you get so much more out of yourself and each other. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in organizations, the constraint is often the, here's the vision of the company. Here's the products and services that this particular organization is here to provide in the world. Here's your role that you have said yes to by taking the job, right? And so like the, the constraints, that's what some of those creative constraints start to look like. And then understanding, well, what, where, what choices do I have? Which, by the way, I think is a question that most people don't ask when they're being hired into a new role, right? Around what are the constraints? What are the things that are actually not negotiable because they're just mm. part of the job description? Yeah. Where do I actually have room and flexibility? What kinds of choices will I be able to make? I don't, I don't think, I don't know that I've ever asked those quite well in this last job, I have asked that question, but not in other places. I don't know that I've asked that question. And I think it's an interesting one, particularly for knowledge workers, right? Um, in particular around the, what, what are the boundaries around what I can and can't choose to do for myself and for this organization? Well, and I think also framing whatever those are as, um, tools to help us fulfill our commitment or um, whatever we're saying we're accountable to because, um, you know, it's a new year. And I think this is probably the time of year when that when the book Atomic Habits gets read the most often, I'm assuming. <laughs> I feel I like I know for Bill for Christmas, by the way. So. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do feel like more, it's like this renewal in January. People go, have you heard that book Atomic Habits? Yes, actually I have, funny enough. Um, but this, you know, he says, uh, and it's an iteration or riff on a, another quote, but we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And so I don't think it's being a victim of system and process to have those constraints set up as long as they're designed to be in service of a purpose we've said we care about. So they don't feel as constraining if you have the context around, well, I did choose this. I did choose to align myself and commit myself to this. So all of those other things that are methods to help me achieve that, I can get on board with them. You know, like even we have a project management staff that is in evolution and just contributing more and more to our vitality as a business, I would say. And Brie, one such PM, she's even for internal projects, she's like, I'm going to put a meeting on the calendar and I'm going to set a deadline for this piece. Is that okay? Because I feel really strongly about setting deadlines. I was like, please, honestly, I've been in this company for a long time without somebody holding us to putting deadlines on the calendar for internal commitments. And I think that's actually really helpful. So anyway, there's something about the, it's like um the bumper, the bumper rails Hard and rails. Guardrails, right. yeah. Guard <laughs> okay. Um, bumper, yeah, guardrails or whatever to help us get to where we want to go. So constraint can be constructed in service of what we're saying we're committed to. You're reminding um, me, Emma Rose, about, you know, um, 
some of the most innovative, creative breakthrough moments in human history have been when we've been severely constrained. And I was giving the example earlier of, you know, during world wars, you know, some of the, you know, tires, <laughs> synthetic <laughs> tires emerged from that. And more recently, COVID, you know, people find a way to be creative. I mean, all these constraints that come, you know, come around them that appear around them. And, you know, I'm just sitting here listening to you and thinking, if we can do that when there are constraints that we don't even want, imagine what we can do if we've created constraints around a shared purpose that we're all choosing together, right? Like that, we're setting ourselves up to be more thorough, more creative, more successful, um, more collaborative and innovative. Right. Now we have a client right now that I was in a conversation with back in the fall um, that the leadership team is spotty in their collaboration together. And under times of duress, they collaborate fabulously together. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's somewhat of what you're talking about. Like the goal is really clear in those moments around what needs to get done. It's an organization that faces a lot of duress on a routine basis from external factors. And under duress, they gather forces. They're really clear on what they need to accomplish and on what needs to get done. And they put all the resources together and everybody like really committed. And in other times, it's a little less, there's a little less alignment. And I think it's to your point, like, are they clear about what they're trying to, are they always clear about what they're trying to accomplish together? Or are they letting their differences sort of pull them apart? Um, And are they clear about if they're going to head in this direction, what the contribution everybody needs to make is and what the level of commitment that's necessary. And are they getting that level of commitment again in fast? Like we got to, we got to move and we got to move now. We know how to do that. They're, they happen to be in Florida, right? So like the hurricanes, when the hurricanes came through, it's a good example. Hurricane came through really clear what needed to happen in Florida, in that area for them to secure their locations, really clear in those emergency situations and others. I think it you get a little more amorphous or um, fuzzy on the edges on like, what are we trying to actually do here together? Right. Well, and even just, you know, I think people are pretty familiar with now the paradox of choice that in all in across our life we can observe that sometimes more choice isn't a good thing um like for example toothpaste toothpaste toothpaste, not, toothpaste. well yeah to for pick sure a show to watch on all the streaming platforms yes exactly <laughs> yeah I, well which is why <laughs> bill <laughs> so robin and her husband have a great process for choosing movies in their house that really helps ease the anxiety but i do think Again, to generational things, I have this theory about the rates of anxiety and depression being so far increased for younger people nowadays, at least, you know, from what we're observing, um, I don't think is disconnected from how much choice there is in every aspect of our life now. And there's just so many options that it's hard to have a sense of like comp of solid ground to stand on. Mm-hmm. Um, also... This is why Trader Joe's is so successful and has a cult following is because there's a psychology around it. There's fewer options for each product that you want to buy. So you go into the store, there's one 
one brand of toothpaste. or Well, I think there might be a couple. But anyway, the <laughs> point is it's narrower options. So you're not as overwhelmed. You don't have to walk through an aisle of 1,000 different types of tomato sauce in order to go home and make dinner. You know, it's... You're looking at, the, I'm like looking at the back of the the ingredients list and trying to decide what the difference is between this one and this one. And even then we're choosing criteria, right? Like you might look at the price. Somebody else might look at the ingredients. Somebody else might look at the label and think that's really pretty, which is how I pick wine. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting generational thing. Even going back oh to Cal, your point about streaming platforms, I will totally, um, uh, date myself. It's fine. I had three channels, right? Like I, you know, I, I got a fourth one got added and then, oh my gosh, we were the first people on the block to have HBO. Like that was wow. a thing, right? Like, the cool that kid was on the sweet, block. right? Like, but there was, you know, we had the three primary networks and then, um, Channel Five, Fox News got added at one, at, was at some point and that was, that was it. So Kel, to your point, there were not you clicked through three channels, maybe four. That was all you had. All the other ones ran reruns. And that was that's all you had to pick from. That or go outside and play. Right? Like there was not the endless list of streaming platforms that are just showing things endlessly. So um, Emma Rose, I can see to your point, generationally speaking, the overwhelming number of choices that the younger generations have had their entire, the entirety of their life. And then trying to sort through how am I making that decision? You know, the, that's an hour of my life. I can't get back for the shows that you watch or the movies that you invest time in. And that that's on repeat all the time, because that's true. I got a Kindle for Christmas. The number of books, yay, I know Kel's very happy. The number <laughs> of books that are now available to me at the drop of a hat. It is, It's. it becomes overwhelming, the number of choices. And as leaders, Kel and I've done some work in a couple of organizations where leaders have not wanted to be micromanaging, so haven't wanted to put too many constraints and have actually caused additional stress in their system by keep by opening it too wide at the wrong moments. I think it's a matter of timing, but right. opening up to be too broad about possibilities without having a focus or a direction that people were heading for them to be creative inside of. Yeah, I, I wanted to, um, I just was having a thought as you were talking, Robin. And I think because I'm also, I'm also conscious of if you become, we're talking a lot about like restricting choice, we'll be happier, but you know, don't, as leaders don't overinterpret that as just making all the choices or to Robin's point, micromanaging. And, um, cause I'm thinking about inclusion, which could sometimes seem like the opposite or overwhelming because, oh my gosh, there's so many different perspectives and voices. And, you know, I often describe it to me, choice inclusion are, they're a paradox. It's a both and that needs to be managed. And so you swing between the two. And so you're continuing to maintain a healthy balance of both. And I often think about it and describe it as breathing. You need the in-breath where you include and hear and you you invent or you create all, every possibility like what is everything we know together that's the wisdom of the community that's the you know community and contribution that's like where we really bring our all and our best and our best thinking and open up to new possibilities that maybe we weren't seeing before but then there's a point where you need to breathe out and constrict and make a choice out of that and i think to robin to your point uh just a minute ago you know we have the cycle of value and it starts with intersect, which is around that common purpose first. So you want to create the container that guides. Now, the second 
conversation and cycle of value after intersect is invent. That's the in-breath. Let's, let's bl blow it up and see every possible wise idea, creative idea that people have. Um, and then you constrict again and make that choice. And so I think it's, it's a both and. And so, you know, I want to make that point because I don't want people to, to misinterpret that we're saying it's either or. It's actually both and. And it's about, mm -hmm. as a leader, finding the balance and walking, you know, you know managing the, the paradox of the two. I love about that. timing and like, what is it like? What is it time for? Is it time to be more expansive and find more solutions? Right. So my example, organization in Florida, hurricanes coming. We're going to make some pretty fast choices within a li pretty limited number because time uh, because of time and what is it time for right now? Um, and then I also think inside cycle of value. There's also a point of being really clear about is this a decision that's already been made. And now we're looking at how do we implement it? Or is it a decision that we're still looking for the input? Because I think before the decision point, you want to be as inclusive as possible to get all those various points in. Once the decision's been made, the focus really becomes how do we engage others and have them understand it such that they can be committed to our thinking. So they mm -hmm. might not agree with it, but they can be committed to it. Um another organization we just went through of this exercise with them where they sort of out like they had to make a decision that was a very unpopular decision they had decision criteria leader said okay i'm going to do it i'm going to go have this conversation i don't know how this is going to go she came back and said that was kind of amazing actually she said i walked people through here was the criteria here was the thinking they said we don't like it but we totally get it we'll be there understand right and so she just said i didn't think it was going to go quite that easily but it was back to they the they could be commit they were that might not have been the choice they would have made given their own, like just their own life and their own criteria. But when they understood the criteria inside the organization, they could see why that was the choice that they needed to be committed to. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we, and we're going to have uh, an episode coming up about decision-making. So we'll get more in depth with that, but I really like, we're getting there again. And you said it at the top that choice is really about commitment and um, I wonder what you would say the ingredients are of an authentic commitment. Like what makes for an authentic commitment that is reliable and enduring and is a signal of that experience of choice? I'll say it how I say it, Kelvin, you can add in. But for me, an authentic commitment is one that I have taken on as though it was my own idea. Right. Yeah. So uh, that so that I'm willing to, you know, when, when it's my own idea, I'm willing to put in the extra effort. I'm willing to figure out the obstacles, the hurdles, the workarounds to make the thing come to be, um, as opposed to like, if I'm just complying, it's pretty easy to be like, uh, well, it's raining. You didn't mean for me to do that when it was raining. <laughs> So I think that's it. Like I'm committed, like it was my own idea to begin with. And I think that requires me understanding the context. So what's the why behind it? What's the, what's my part of it? Why, why does having me in it matter? I think is an, an ingredient to authentic commitment. Like I can see that like, oh, my skill, my contribution is really critical to this. And I care about the community and the thing that we're trying to do together. 
Mm. I don't know, Cal, what would you add? I'm sure I missed I mean, part. I would, I completely agree. And the, the one piece, I think it's included in what you just described, but I'll just say it explicitly, but it's also considerate of the community you're part of mm. and what they care about and what they're concerned, what they're trying to do. So it's that intersection with uh, the community too. It's not just, I made this commitment, I care about it and I'm going to go after it, but it's, it's an intersection with all those different pieces. Mm-hmm. When I think it, uh, you know, there's a part of the timing that we were talking about that, yes, you engage people in the context of, you know, their role and their unique contribution and what matters to them, as well as the confronting reality. So what's mm-hmm. going to be challenging about it? Um, how can I support you fulfilling this commitment were you to say yes but then also creating the opportunity after that for them to say yes explicitly no explicitly and here's why which could launch another conversation that you might learn something really valuable out of or counter offer like I I actually don't know how to make a commitment to that right now and here's some other stuff I need to learn first or this is another conversation I need to have or something else I need to understand um that I think it's about authentic commitment. It's not a manipulation. So it's not trying to get somebody to believe that it was their idea. It's being in a two-way conversation about it, like letting them be a participant in making the commitment. So that's the distinction for me in addition to what you guys said. I love that. And thank you for adding that in, MROs. One of the things we often say is, if somebody can't say no to what you're asking them to do, so if you don't actually have room in the conversation for someone to challenge it or say no, you can't trust their yes because the yes is coming out of obligation or compliance or pretense. Uh, maybe sincerity, meaning like I sincerely want to do it, but I haven't confronted the reality of my life or my other obligations. But if there's not room for that as a full dialogue with people, you can't actually trust that that's going to happen. And so if we think about it, even in a system where there's compliance, people still, whether we like it or not, people still have choices about what they're doing, right? We would love to have us all be AI at some point where we just do the things like, trust me, there are times when I just like for what I'm asking to have happen, just happen and there not be a, have to be a conversation about it. Right. Um, But the reality is, as long as you're dealing with human beings, there's always the option that they're not going to do that thing. Even that might mean that they're, you know, quietly quitting is, has been a theme lately. And I think this really falls in that domain of people not feeling like they can say no to something. So they're just going to sort of pull their talents back or pull back on and not actually fulfill on it. That's actually more damaging. I can't plan for that. If you tell me no, I can. we can plan for that. We can figure out another solution. We can figure out what we need to do. If we just quietly don't do it, I can't, I can't actually create a plan for what that's going to look like to ensure that we are successful together on executing whatever it is that we say we're committed to. Yeah, I really want to highlight that that is far more wasteful. I think there's an ease from a leader's perspective that, oh, I just told them what to do and they do what, they, what, I, what they're told but you're deluding yourself. I I used to work for this organization that was, you know, very like open and we had access to anything on the internet that we wanted, but we were bought by a much larger corporation and their IT came in and took over and locked down all these different websites that we were used to uh, using. 
virtually no work got done for two weeks until people figured out how to get around the blocks, the technology blocks. And once they were able to get back to those websites they wanted to browse, they went back to work. And so people will find choice. You either give it to them and help and be a good leader and help manage them giving more of their contribution and feeling proud of that, or they'll mm -hmm. subvert you and do things behind the scenes that create waste. Um, and you can continue to live in that illusion if you wish, but it's, it's, it's eventually going to catch up to you. Always does. Well, and I think too, I mean, it, there's something about when things don't go the well, the way that you want them to, or they don't go well, or there is this sense of failure or disappointment the likelihood that somebody is going to lean in to connection and be, take ownership of how things went and be committed to learning from the experience is way lower if they didn't commit to it personally and authentically in the first place. So I think it's way okay. more likely that you're going to have pretense in your system when something goes wrong about, okay, well, actually, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen and hope that nobody notices, or I'm going to blame somebody else, or I'm going to quietly quit or whatever it is. Um, and then that's just, that is a form of of waste in the system too, because you're not learning from it. You're not forging um, more connection out of the experience. And you're teaching people that they can't fail, which is really sad because they're not seeing the value of those experiences. You know, one of the reasons why this is so important, this it's, happens to be early January when we're recording this, I'm not sure when it'll air. This is the time of year when goal setting happens. And in lots of organizations, goals are just sort of handed to people, like here's your goals for the year. And Emma Rose, what you were just saying, I think is a really great example of the difference of what we mean between um, choice and anarchy. So we're not saying yeah, people shouldn't have goals. Everybody gets to pick whatever they want. We are saying that there should be more of a dialogue around those goals, what they look like, why they're important, that people should have some sort of a say in how they might execute on those and what their contribution is to that goal. Because otherwise, to your point, that's how come you wind up at the end of the year, well, I didn't, I didn't make up that goal anyway. So I was never actually committed to it. I just said yes, because I didn't think I had a choice is how organizations wind up falling short over and over and over again on timelines or revenue expectations or, or, or the list goes on and on. Cause it's like, well, I, I didn't, somebody made that number up and I had no say in it and it didn't make any sense to me. And, and, you know, and so there's a whole lot litany of excuses or reasons. And it's all because we didn't have these conversations early enough for people to understand, here's this goal. Here's why it's critical for, for the organization at large. Here's why we hope it matters to you. Why do you think it matters to you? How does it fit with where you want to go with your career? And I don't think most leaders stop and have that full of a conversation around goals. Uh-uh. Well, it reminds me, we had a client that we worked with. Um, I think we had this conversation in the fall as they were starting to clarify their strategy for the organization, but we were doing workshops with their managers. And what we spent the time on was how each manager could contextualize the organization's goals for themselves and their role. like, And then this gets back to why community contribution and choice go hand in hand. So what is my unique contribution in my role, the thing I'm paid to do and the thing that I've given myself to, to the strategy? And then how do I, what's my team's role and contribution to that? And how do I tell that story to them? And so there's another important piece right before the 
did you did you give them an opportunity to say yes, no, or counteroffer? Which is, are you clear? And do they think that the request of them is clear? So a lot of times people get sent a strategy or sent goals and they're like, okay, cool. But they might not have ever had a dialogue to say, I actually have no idea what that means. I have no idea. And I think that's why there's this tension in so many organizations where mid-level people are saying, I wish they would just be clear about what they want me to do. And then leadership is like, we've told them what the strategy is eight times already this year. I don't know what they're talking about, but people can't see themselves in it. They don't see what the practical applied activity is that they're supposed to be doing on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis that would make a difference to that strategy. So there's this conversation that needs to happen in order to make that clear. And um, Brene Brown says clear is kind, right? That it's not just out of it being practical to be clear. It's also a kindness to those people because then you're clearing up where there doesn't need to be confusion. It just doesn't have to be there. It's completely unnecessary. So if you just take a little bit more time at the front end, it can cause so much more um, value in the medium to long term. You know, we've we spent a bunch of time talking about how, you know, choice can go wrong and create waste, right? And I'd like to just take a moment to highlight some of where I think it can go really right and offer huge opportunities and actually be insurance against things like recession and high uncertainty and changing times. Because with that choice, you know, like we were talking at the very beginning, that's where people with the right constraints and clarity of contribution community and the freedom of choice, that's where they're most creative. That's where the most collaborative, that's where the most innovative. And so when you think about COVID, or, you know, we, we hear a lot about rapid adaptive management, organizations in, operating in high uncertainty. How can they uh, be sure that they're able to operate that way and be that rapid? Or, you know, the agile organization, learning organizations, all of those terms, what they're really saying is we need highly innovative, creative, and collaborative people. And that's where you create those constraints as, as a leader. You create the conditions for people to bring their greatest creativity And now you've created the organization that can adapt on the fly, real time to the changing conditions in the world. And the second aspect I'll highlight is, you know, we were joking about this when we were just discussing what we might talk about in this podcast, but there's a lot of talk about AI and who knows if it's 10, 20, 30, five years away, but it's encroaching and on a lot of work. And so I've done a lot of thinking around what makes human work unique. And I think the fact that we can make an irrational choice because it brings us joy (laughs) is one of the things that makes us unique. The AI won't necessarily do, you could program it to do that, but it won't be the same thing. And so when I look to the future, wherever it goes, really leaning into human's ability to make creative choices that might be irrational because we have our own reasons for it, but those often lead to the breakthroughs for humanity. AI can take care of the rest, but this is the avenue to where we contribute, where we have uh, meaning and purpose and vitality in our in our work and life that is complementary to the AI, not at, at threat or at risk of being taken away by AI. Um, mm-hmm. So to be determined. But the, I just wanted to highlight that for a moment because I think it's important that it's it's also that it's an insurance policy and it's something that really helps us thrive amidst uncertainty. Well, I think, you know, in 
we talk about the distinction between superior leadership and connected leadership. And there are places where superior leadership can still make sense for particular organizations or businesses, right? Where you have somebody that actually does know the answers and can just tell somebody, go do this and that we know it'll turn out. Kel, to your point, in complex systems where there are volatile conditions that are rapidly changing, that's highly unlikely that that's going to work out that way, right? Because there's not a single person that's going to know enough about what's happening. And so leading through connection where you can actually pose a question, pose a problem, put a paradox in front of people. We need to create stability for our employees in the midst of um, uh, financial uncertainty in the marketplaces. What might that look like? Okay, go, <laughs> right? Like that That becomes a much different kind of conversation. And it really is leading because when we say connection, I think people often think go right to like connected to people, which is absolutely true, but it's also connected to strategy connected to reality, connected to circumstances, connected to vision and values, right? So connection actually means to all of that. And the inside choice, it's actually getting people connected to all of that so that we can all collectively make smarter choices together that we're, we are committed to. So I love this around the possibility of choice is that, and frankly, I love it because that means like I... I don't have to have the answers. We have to have the answers because <laughs> right. if we rely on me having all the answers, we got problems. <laughs> right. Well, and I like what you're saying about there are places for both because there's certain situations where it's like, no, I really do want you to have the answer. Like this is a trite example, but like if I'm building Ikea furniture, I don't really need to have a choice in how I assemble that thing. <laughs> I just want to know how I'm supposed to assemble it. And I want the instructions to be really clear. <laughs> yeah, frankly, fewer <laughs> choices in that would be better so that I can't like loop, figure out, be finished and figure out why do I still have three parts in my hand. Right, exactly. Yeah, me being creative in that context is not a good, so good practice. Um, I do have, I, I have sort of like a case application question for you both. So we talked about when human beings don't feel like they have a sense of control that's sort of related to this, when they don't feel like they have autonomy um, and it feels done to, something feels done to you. What about in a merger and acquisition situation? Like for people who are lower down stream from the decision to go forward with that merger or acquisition. And then there's a lot of uncertainty that comes with some of that messaging. People can't really envision the future anymore. They don't know how the vision has changed and how that fits for them. I feel like that's a lot of um, anxiety that ends up coming up in those situations. But what, what would you recommend to a leader that's guiding people through that situation? I'll start and then Kel, oh, Kel you want to go? I, I was gonna, I was going to go to what is probably our default answer for most big unwieldy problems, which is for the sake of what, right? Like the merger was for the sake of something. Are we clear what what each party is? Each party's purpose in the merger is to start with, because that might be the only thing we have an answer for. And back to clarity is kindness or clear is kind. I think we're possible giving people as much information about what we do know and what we don't know. Here's the things we do know that will continue to be true. Here's the things we don't yet know. 
and that there may be people that are uncomfortable in that here's the things we do not know and they may make a choice to opt out and that might be okay like maybe that's a maybe that's the right choice for them in that moment and how do i support them in in making that choice Kel, what would you um you know it comes back to what i was sharing at the beginning around the foundation to choice is community and contribution so you are you clear can you help your people to the degree you have answers be clear around their place their contribution you know we we often will say that people don't really they're not really resistant to change itself they're resistant to not knowing their place in an uncertain future and so can you in any way possible can you help them find clarity around their contribution their value how they might connect and that might be things are changing dramatically and you need to help them think through how they do connect um, and and can they see themselves as part of this new newly forming community, knowing that it might continue to morph, right? Um, and then the second part, I think, to the people who are now in this position of, I I'm just sort of like the choice I feel like is being made for me around me. Um, I, I've always been fascinated by this tendency for people to because people always have choice, right? But we get caught in this place of saying, I don't have choice when I don't like any of my options. That doesn't mean you don't have choice. It just means you don't like your options. <laughs> <laughs> you, and so it might be multiple options that you don't like, but I think really reckoning with the truth of these are all bad options in my mind, but they are the choices I have available. Um, and so if you really want to have that control, I mean, you can go more the um, the side of like, I have no choice and I'm just, you know, at the whim of what happens here, you can take that path, but it robs you of joy and vitality and all the things we've talked about. But by by stepping into like, I don't like these options, but I need to choose for my own benefit. Mm. At the end of the day, you end up feeling better for it. You do find your way through to something meaningful and uh, more valuable. It might, there might be a lot of pain and struggle along the way, but um, I've always found it ends up better in the long run. Yeah, Hell, I, well, love that. I love but, that about that. Um, sorry, Emma Rose. About um, it's not that you don't have a choice; you just don't like the options. And so, how do you actually figure out what are the things that are most important to you to evaluate those options? Right. The one other thing I was just going to say quickly is that I actually had this a number of years ago. I had a client who was leading a team, and there was with there was talk of a merger, and so the team was really like unsettled. And I said to her, well, what do you know to be true regardless of the merger? Like what, what, how, like, so if there was a merger or if there wasn't, what are the things that would stay the same regardless? And she went back and looked and she was like, she came, she called me a week later. She goes, what I realized is like 80% of what we're working on would stay the same regardless of the merger or acquisition. So stop getting wrapped around the axle on the 20% and get the team really aligned on the 80% because really that 20% is outside of things we have any control over anyway. Like I don't have a say in what's going to happen. Nobody on the team has a say in what's going to happen. So stop worrying about that and worry about this 80%. Because when I when she looked at that, she realized like, oh my God, there's plenty to keep us busy while they figure that out and we'll deal with it when it gets here. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, I, part of where I went with that blog, the self-actualization topic was in the vein of like people wanting to leave their job because they're dissatisfied or they're disengaged or disenchanted, as we would say. 
um, or they don't like the options that are being offered to them. I do think there's a, a word of caution about like, is a different option even available to you? Like, is that an imagined other choice that would be better than what the, are the ones in front of you? And that's where I think the human emotion versus being connected to reality comes in. What I think the key is really understanding, like when you say you don't like a choice, right? The Kel, this goes back to the emotionality of that. What does that actually mean to you, right? Like what, because like, I don't like it is I don't, there's not a lot for me to do about it. Can I actually break down what about it isn't working? Because that's actually where that creativity starts to come in, right? right? Is, is it, I don't like this particular task. I don't like the timeline. I don't like the, right. What is it exactly? Because even if you're starting to look at other alternatives, then you can start to understand how do I find a different alternative that might work? Or is this a place where I get that that alternative actually is the best for what we're trying to accomplish together? Right. And I actually think that that kind of critical thinking for yourself is a form of choice. Like it's a form of moving into that domain is mm -hmm. just being connected to yourself in the situation um, and trying to figure out where that fits and how you can honor whatever your values are within the context of what's available. Um, I do want to wind us down towards a close here. Um, we normally close with what we learned or some insight that we're taking away. So Kel, what about you? What is something that you're walking away from this conversation with? Well, the first thing that pops to mind for me is that, you know, the comment we were talking about that giving people the option to say no that can actually lead to new questions and new considerations and new conversations and potentially break through ideas or break through options that didn't exist previous to that. No. Um, and I'm just, it's really sticking with me. So I'm definitely leaving with that. Cool. For me, the thing that's like, Oh, that's a really interesting thought that I hadn't put together before is the level of stress and anxiety that people have with too many choices, right? And where in organizations are we actually, we know well-being is a focus for lots of organizations today. Where is it that we act? I think we all often go to give people more choices around that. And maybe that's actually in some places making the stress worse as opposed to giving people a few options uh, uh, for, for themselves. So anyway, I'm just sort of in going to marinate in that question for a little while. Mm. Um, I think mine is about that there's a time for inclusion and a time for narrowing what the choices are that are available and that both are kind. Like both are an act of um, caring for the humanity of the people that you lead. And so choice is this dynamic thing and it requires presence in your leadership. So that's what I'm walking away with. Well, thank you both. Any parting thoughts that you're going to be writing me about later? Like, I wish I had the chance to say this. <laughs> I feel pretty good right now. Good. Are you happy with your quote unquote choice to be here today? <laughs> <laughs> it's always for me a delight to get to spend time in conversations with whoever shows up on these podcasts. It's always just... Uh, fun time for us to be in exploration. We, 
you know, we kid around, like we really do think this is fun. So I think this is fun. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. I learned a lot and this is really great. I mean, when I, when I was starting to think about it beforehand, it's like, wow, like what would I say about this? And you know, I had my initial thoughts, but this went so much further beyond what I had initially been thinking about. So thank you. Thank you all. Well, you're welcome. And uh, (laughs) until next time, so happy to have had you guys. Thanks for your contribution. All right. Bye-bye. Bye all. This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Converse's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.